Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. This is the reading of the Darley Routier Trial Testimony, Part 13. Now, as a reminder, if you are enjoying this podcast and the trial coverage, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Today, we are beginning day six of the trial, which occurred on January 14th, 1997. On this day, there is one witness, Officer David Maine. He is the crime scene photographer and manager of the evidence section for the Rowlett Police Department. Now, Officer Maine's testimony lasts the entire day and even bleeds over into the next day. And because it's so long, it's actually 170 pages on this day alone, it's going to be broken up into parts. But before we get to his testimony, let's go over what we heard in the last episode, because we heard from paramedics Brian Koshak and Larry Byford. They were the next two paramedics on the scene after the first paramedic, Jack Colby, now, Brian Koshak and Larry Byford, their testimony talked mainly about tending to Darley, her ride to Baylor Hospital, and the collection of evidence. So let's first talk about Brian. Brian Koshak gave some interesting details when he entered the Routier home. He first saw another paramedic, and this would have been Jack Colby, the first paramedic on the scene. He was already there helping Damon, one of Darley's sons, her youngest son, which happened to be downstairs in the den area to his left. Now, directly ahead of Brian Koshak was Darley with Officer Waddell, and Koshak estimated that both Darley and Officer Waddell were about five to six feet away from Damon and paramedic Jack Colby. Now, when Jack Colby gave his testimony, he mentioned a totally different distance, at least as far as how far Darley and Officer Waddell were away from Damon. And he actually said 10 or 12 feet. And this was back in episode 62. This is quite a substantial difference. Now, they may have moved locations from the time that Jack first noticed them to when Brian walked in, but it's quite a discrepancy. Initially, when Brian Koshak was asked about another male being in the room, meaning Darren, he didn't remember seeing him, but then his memory was jogged and he said that Darren, Darley's husband, was in fact there. And he remembered seeing Darren walk from where Devin, the Routier's other son, was lying. He was in the middle of the room. And Darren began to walk towards Koshak and Colby, which of course is also where the other child was laying. Now, because Darren was walking his direction, he couldn't get, Brian couldn't get through to reach Devin on that side. So what he had to do is he had to go around the couch and past Darley and Officer Waddell to get to Devin. When he got to Devin, he knew right away that nothing could be done for him and that Devin had sadly 
already passed away. Now, next, Koshak then turned his attention to Darley. Darley was kneeling next to the bar that separates the kitchen from the den. She was wearing a blood-covered shirt and holding a rag to her neck wound. Now, interestingly, despite her state, Koshak said that she wasn't crying or screaming. Now, again, Jack Colby said that contradicts all of this. He says that it was a very loud scene. Everybody was yelling and screaming. So Brian, at this point, he has Darley follow him outside to the porch. And while they're there, Koshak continues to treat Darley. He finds that she wasn't in shock and that she could follow instructions well. In the ambulance, he observed that her blood pressure was okay and he didn't give her any medications during the short ride to the hospital. Now, let's talk about Larry Byford. Now, Larry Byford, he didn't play a major role in the initial scene. He briefly stepped inside to check if anyone else needed help, but then he returned to assist Brian Koshak, who was on the porch. Larry Byford helped to bandage Darley's arm and her neck and noted her anxious demeanor. Now, interestingly, he mentioned a necklace that he saw taped under her neck bandage. And when he tried to kind of move this necklace or adjust the bandage, it made Darley wince when it was moved. So they just kept it there underneath the bandage. His involvement uh, mainly revolved around helping transport Darley and gathering Darley's medical details. Now, after Darley was taken to the hospital, Larry Byford's partner, Eric Zimmerman, who had police training, gathered evidence, including Darley's t-shirt and the children's clothing. Now, there's a bit of controversy here since Zimmerman not officially a police officer, at least as far as we know, handled crucial evidence. Now, when Darley's defense team asked for the t-shirt to not be admitted because they couldn't prove the chain of custody for the t-shirt, the court denied it and the t-shirt was still admitted. There are still a lot of questions around this, at least for me. So was he asked to do this? Did he just grab Darley's t-shirt and then visit the other hospital room where, you know, Damon would have been and grabbed his clothes? Did he just gather them up and throw them in a bag? What the hell did he do with these clothes? Now, as I mentioned in the last podcast episode, I cannot believe that Zimmerman isn't listed as a witness in post-trial or even has an affidavit. I really hope I'm missing something here because this seems to have really gone off the rails if someone is just randomly picking up evidence at the hospital. But wait, <laughs> I did some further research and discovered that Eric Zimmerman was, in fact, spoken to by Darley's defense attorney and that he, Eric Zimmerman, provided a deposition which could be used later in court. So you might think, well, why aren't they bringing this up? Well, it's because the deposition was taken in the summer of 1996. So around June, July, August. And at that point in time, 
Darley's defense attorney was different. Darley's attorney at that time was Mr. Douglas Parks. Now, her attorneys, the ones that she's using in court, they were assigned in late October of 1996. Now, I'm no lawyer, but what I have researched is that even if attorneys are changed, the deposition can still be used. They don't have to use it, but it is there for them to use. Now, we're only partially into the trial, so we'll see if it comes up. It should, in my opinion, but, you know, then again, who am I, right? This information came from the motion to hold Darley without bond. And you can actually listen to this on episode number 39. If you don't want to go through the whole thing, though, in a nutshell, this is what was said by Darley's then attorney, Mr. Douglas Parks. And it went like this. Mr. Douglas Parks addressed the court, indicating their intention to call Brian Koshak, a paramedic, to the stand. Now, Mr. Parks explained that they believe that Koshak would provide valuable testimony as he was one of the first responders, arriving in one of the two ambulances that reached the scene on Eagle Drive on June 6, 1996. Koshak's insights into the treatment of the children, his movements within the house, and the overall state of the crime scene would be critical, especially since the case hinged on circumstantial evidence. So getting an early perspective of the scene before it was disturbed by police and others was deemed essential for the court's understanding. Now, what Douglas Parks wanted to do was to expedite this process and along with Brian Koshak, wanted to call several other individuals, all of them involving the paramedics. So these included Captain Dennis Vrana, Jack Colby, Rick Coleman, Mike Youngblood, and Todd Higgins, who could all provide similar testimony to that expected from Brian Koshak. So in response, Mr. Greg Davis, uh, who, of course, is the prosecution for the state, reiterated some of his previous arguments. And again, this is back in this document. And added that the defense had already had the chance to take depositions from two other Rowlett Fire Department paramedics, including Eric Zimmerman and Larry Byford. So this is how we find out that they already, Douglas Parks already sat down and spoke to these two and took depositions from them. The court then weighed in and said that unless there was a very specific reason, these additional witnesses, including Brian Koshak and others mentioned by Parks, remember the defense, could not be called at that time. So Douglas Parks in other words, wanted to call these paramedics to the stand for the defense, but the court denied it. And of course, they are up there for the prosecution. So take that for what you will. Um, all that said, let's get into today's testimony of Officer David Maine. 
And the direct examination begins by Mr. Greg Davis. Sir, would you please tell us your full name? David Ray Maine. And please spell your last name for the court reporter. Last name spelling is M-A-Y-N-E. Sir, are you a Rowlett police officer? Yes, sir. Okay. And how long have you been with the Rowlett Police Department? A little over 10 years. Are you assigned to any particular section or division at this time? I'm assigned to Support Service Division, which includes Crime Scene. What are your duties and responsibilities in that section? I collect evidence, photograph different crime scenes, and also am the manager over the evidence section. Okay, did you have the same duties and responsibilities back on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir, I did. Officer Maine. Let me ask you if at approximately sometime around 3 to 3.30 in the morning, if you received a call to go up to the Rowlett Police Station. Yes, sir, on June 6, 1996. Right. Were you at home or were you on duty at that time? I was at home. Do you recall about what time you got up to the station? Approximately 3.55 a.m. And what was the purpose of you going up to the Rowlett Police Station? To collect supplies, crime scene supplies for a crime scene. All right. And about how long did it take you to get all of those supplies and leave? Approximately five minutes. Do you recall where the next place was that you went after you left the station? Yes, sir. Fire station number two. And what was the purpose of you going over there to the fire station? To collect clothing from a victim and also the defendant. Okay. Officer Maine, if you would, look at what's been marked as States Exhibit 23 and 23-A and tell me whether or not you recognize that to be some of the clothing that you retrieved at the Rowlett Fire Station that night. Yes, sir, it is. All right. A pair of blue jeans and a pair of underwear. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Officer Main, first looking at States Exhibit 23-A is just a pair of underwear. Is that correct? That's correct. And so you picked up the underwear and you also picked up a pair of blue jeans. Is that correct? That's correct. And I believe you said... In addition to that, you also picked up the shirt of the defendant? That's correct. Okay. Officer Main, after you picked up the clothing, where did you go next? I went to 5801 Eagle Drive. And about what time did you get to that location? Approximately 4.15 a.m. Okay. Did you go in the house or what did you do? No, sir. I met with Sergeant David Neighbors and Sergeant Matt Walling. Okay. And let me ask you if sometime shortly after you arrived, perhaps within a half an hour, if you had occasion to meet with a Sergeant Tom Ward. Yes, sir. I did. And where did you meet with Tom Ward? 
I met Tom Ward approximately two houses down in the alleyway from 5801 Eagle Drive. Okay. And at the time that you went down there, did you photograph and did you retrieve a certain piece of evidence? Yes, sir. I photographed a white tube sock that appeared to have blood on the sock and also collected it. All right, Officer Main, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 60. Do you recognize that to be the tube sock that you retrieved on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. The holes and the other defects that we see in the sock, were they present at the time that you retrieved this item? No, sir. Okay. After you retrieved it, was it placed in evidence for further analysis by other individuals? That's correct. It was. All right. Okay, Officer Main, you retrieved the sock. Did you do any testing on the sock when you retrieved it in the alley? Yes, sir, I did. I did a presumptive blood test on what appeared to be blood. Okay. And the purpose of that test is to determine what? If it was blood. All right. And what did it come back as? It tested positive for some type of blood. And I assume then, after you had done the presumptive test, is that when you placed it into evidence for further analysis? That's correct. Okay. After you had retrieved the sock and you had done the presumptive test on the sock, what's the next thing that you did out at the scene? I started photographing the exterior of the house. Okay. Front and back. That's correct. All right. And after you had finished photographing, what's the next thing that you did? I was advised that we were going to get consent to enter the house. So, and also a consultant, James Cron was called. And when he arrived, we met with him. Okay. So you met with James Cron, correct? That's correct. Meeting with other officers outside the house also? That's correct. Okay. And you're still outside the house. That's correct. There was a taped off area outside the house also? Yes, sir, there was. And also an officer at the front door. Okay. When is the first time that you entered the house? Approximately 6.09 a.m. Okay. Did you go in there by yourself or did you go in with someone else? I went in the house with Sergeant Matt Walling and a neighbor of the residence, Karen Neal. All right. And just tell me where you went inside the residence, where Sergeant Walling went and where Karen Neal went. At the entrance inside the house, there's a stairway. I walked up halfway of the stairs and Sergeant Walling and Karen Neal went to the top of the stairs. Okay. Did you see what Karen Neal did when she went up the stairs? Yes, sir. She retrieved a small dog. Okay. And after she retrieved the dog, what did she do? She immediately walked down the stairs and exited through the front door. Was Karen Neal in your sight the entire time that she was inside that house? Yes, sir. Approximately how long was she inside the house? Approximately two minutes. And what parts of the house was she in when she went in there? 
It would be the front entry, up the stairs, and at the top of the stairs. Did she do anything besides retrieve the dog? No, sir. You said that she left about two minutes later. Is that right? Yes, sir. Did you and Sergeant Walling leave the house? No, sir. Okay. Did anyone else join you inside the house? Yes, sir. James Cron and Sergeant David Neighbors. Okay, so you're inside the house. And is Sergeant Walling still in there? Yes, sir. And James Cron, the consultant, came in? Yes, sir. Who else? Sergeant David Neighbors. So now there's four of you in there? That's correct. And when you had been joined by James Cron and David Neighbors, what did you and Sergeant Walling begin to do? Sergeant Walling began taking us through the house, a walkthrough of the house of the crime scene. All right. And do you remember what part of the house that you went through during this walkthrough? Yes, sir. The front entryway down a hallway into the family room in the kitchen to the utility room and to the garage area. Okay. And during the time that you're doing this walkthrough with these other people, is any evidence being collected at that time? No, sir. Anything being touched? No, sir. Anything being moved? No, sir. Okay. You've gone through the family room, the kitchen, the utility room, back to the garage. Where do you go next? We went in, we came back through the utility room and to the kitchen, and then we exited through the dining room to the utility room. Okay. Now, did all of you leave the house at that point? All except for me. All right. And why did you stay behind? I started photographing the scene. So Sergeant Walling, James Cron, and David Neighbors then left the house, right? Yes, sir. And you remained behind to take photographs. That's correct. About how long did this walkthrough take place? I'm talking in the four of you coming in, walking through before the other three left. About how long did that take? approximately 20-25 minutes in that area and you started taking photographs right that's correct of the interior rooms of the house yes sir did you take photographs in the family room yes sir i did did you take photographs in the kitchen yes sir did you also take photographs in the utility room that's correct and did you take photographs of the interior portion of the garage? Yes, sir. Okay. Officer Maine, if you would, let me just open this up and ask you if you can identify States Exhibit 35 as being a true and correct floor plan of the family room as it appeared on June 6, 1996. And if photographs 35A... B, C, D, E, F, G, and H are, in fact, photographs that you took of the residence there on June 6, 1996. Yes, sir. Do they truly and accurately depict the residence as it appeared that morning on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. If the officer could please step down, Your Honor, 
And the court says, all right, please watch your step going off there. The witness says, yes, sir. At which time he then got down and approached the jury rail. And Mr. Greg Davis says, okay, if you will step around to the side so all of the jurors can see the exhibit. The court says, all right, yes, so they can see. And then Mr. Davis continues, Officer Bain, okay, again, we're looking at the floor plan of the den here. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And States Exhibit 35-A, right here, what do we see in that photograph, sir? We see a coffee table with a flower arrangement that is turned over. All right. And that coffee table was essentially there in the middle of the room, right? That's correct. Okay, 35-B. What do we see in that photograph, sir? We see blood on the carpet. And okay, it's in the area here. It would be the area to the hallway here to the entry to the kitchen. Okay, so this area in 35-B if we walk in, it's right to our left in that family room, right? That's correct. Okay. 35-C up here. What portion of the room are we looking at here? We're looking at, excuse me, the couch here, and we see a blue blanket here. This is part of the coffee table and also a pillow right here. Okay. So on the chart here, and we're looking at this couch that's on the, what, the west side of the room? It's, I believe it's the west. That's correct. It's the west. And we see, in fact, a yellow pillow here. In 35-C, is that the pillow that you found on the couch? Is that right? That's correct. And there was a blue blanket was there also a green blanket right next to it right here? Yes, sir. You can't hardly see it, but there is a green blanket there. Okay. The corner of the coffee table. You've got what? A maroon colored pillow leaning up against this couch. Is that right? Yes, sir. Right here. States Exhibit 35-D. Is that a close-up? of the corner of that coffee table that we see in 35-C. That's correct. Does there appear to be blood on the corner of that coffee table? Yes, sir, there is. Okay. States Exhibit 35-E, again, are we looking at the portion of the room that's going to be in front of this couch on the west side of the room? And that's correct. And there's a large red area in that photograph. Is that correct? That's correct. That's where the, yes, sir, beside the couch right here. Okay. And does that appear to be blood? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. I want to direct your attention to the top portion of that photograph. And we see another area right up in here next to the maroon pillow. Can you tell us? what that appeared to be when you looked at that that morning? That is a small blood handprint with fingers pointing toward the pillow. Is that right? That's correct. States Exhibit 35-E. Are we looking between the two couches at this point? 
yes, sir, we are. And as you looked at the armrest, did there appear to be blood on the armrest of the couches? Yes, sir, there is. And 35-G, are we now looking from behind the couch on the north end of the room? Yes, we are. And does there appear to be blood along the armrest of that couch also leading back? Yes, sir, there is. States Exhibit 35-H, is that a photograph of the couch on the north side of the room? Yes, sir, it is. It shows a portion of the maroon pillow and then other pillows that you found on the couch. Is that right? That's correct. Now, officer, I believe you testified that you also photographed the kitchen. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. If you will please look at States Exhibit number 36-36-A-B-C-D-E-F-N-G. And let me ask you, if 36 is in fact an accurate floor plan or depiction of the kitchen as it appeared that morning on June 6, 1996, and if the photographs marked as States Exhibits 36-A through 36-G are in fact true and accurate depictions of the kitchen as it appeared to you on June 6, 1996. Yes, sir, it is. And those are, in fact, photographs that you took of the kitchen area. Is that right? That's correct. Officer, as we look through, first of all, if we're looking at... The court then says, uh, better lean over a little bit. Mr. Mosty, can you see that over there? Mr. Mosty then says, yes, sir. The court says, okay, good. Can the jury see that? Okay, good. Mr. Greg Davis then begins again. As we look at this diagram, the left portion, if we were to walk out the left portion, would we be walking into the family room that we just looked at? Yes, sir. All right. So the left portion of the kitchen then faces to the family room. Is that right? That's correct. The right portion, does that lead back here to the utility room? That's correct. Do we see a green object here? What is that? That's a green rug. Okay. We see the kitchen sink here. Yes, sir. And pointing to another area, is that the range? Yes, sir. The refrigerator, the black object here? Yes, sir. Two rectangular areas. Are those also rugs? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. We've got another circle with a line through it with some bottles. Was there a wine rack located in the kitchen in that area? Yes, sir, it was. And we have another circular area. Was this a trash can that was located in that portion of the kitchen? Yes, sir, it was. And we've got another white rectangle. Was that an island? The counter? Yes, sir. Okay. If we can, we'll start here at States Exhibit 35-A. Tell us what we see in that photograph. It's the end portion of the bar with a white-handled butcher knife with blood on it. Okay, so we're looking at the end of the counter right here, right? That's correct. And 
we see here a knife with a handle pointed toward the kitchen area. Correct? That's correct. And the knife had blood on the, on the blade and the handle. Okay. Was there also any blood that you could see up here on the counter? Yes, sir. There was some cast off type blood on the counter and also blood drops. Okay. Now, States Exhibit 36-B, is this a photograph of the same area with the knife now gone? That's correct. Okay. And did you yourself retrieve that knife and take it off the counter? Yes, sir, I did. And when the knife was removed, could you still see blood present on this counter area? Yes, sir, you could. And is that depicted in States Exhibit 36-B? Yes, sir. If you could now, let's look at States Exhibits 36-C and 36-D. Do we see the wine rack? Yes, sir, we do. And again, that's going to be located as you come in through the family room right in this area, right? Yes, sir. Mr. Richard Mosty then says, Your Honor, we are going to have to object to the continuous leading the court then says, well, let's phrase the questions properly. Sustain the objection. Mr. Greg Davis then says, all right, what are states exhibits 36-C and 36-D? It is a tall wine rack leading into the kitchen from the family room. And you can see a wine bottle here that is partially turned over. And you can also see broken glass on the linoleum tile here. Okay. Let me ask you so that all of the jurors can see, and I'm pointing at the bottle that you've just indicated as being turned over. Yes, sir. Okay. And you had also indicated a portion of the part of a part of glass on the floor. Am I now pointing at a portion of that? Yes, sir. And am I also pointing to another portion that you saw there that morning? Yes, sir. There's also blood drops leading from in between here and the family room on the linoleum. Okay. And you're pointing to States Exhibit 36-D. Is that right? That's correct. As you looked at States Exhibit 36-C, can you see any more blood on the floor in that photograph? Yes, sir. You can see the blood drops leading on the right side of the island here on the linoleum tile. Okay, looking at the wine rack here in 36-D, you had mentioned the broken glass on the floor. Did you notice any items on this wine rack that were broken? No, sir. Now, States Exhibit 36-C, what do we look at in this photograph? This is an area of the counter where the range is, and there's a knife block with knives in it, and it's a nine-hole knife block, and there's only eight knives in the knife block. Okay, and that was located next to the range? That's correct. And States Exhibit number 36-F, what are we seeing there? This is leading into the utility room, here from the kitchen, and here is the range, here is an island here, and you see blood drops here on the linoleum tile. Okay, 
So we do we see part of the utility room here? Yes, sir. And did I understand you to say there's blood drops in this portion that I'm pointing to in States Exhibit 36-F? Yes, sir. And is the range shown on the left-hand part of this photograph? Yes, sir, it is. And States Exhibit 36-G, if you would just take this pointer and just show us what we see in States Exhibit 36-G. Okay, here is the kitchen sink right here. And you can see the blood right here at the kitchen sink. You can see blood right here. Here's a green rug here, which is going to be this rug right here. And you can see a vacuum cleaner that's on its top here, right here, lying down, and you can see the blood right in here. Okay, this vacuum cleaner that we see there in the photograph, did any, did you or any other police officer place it in this position? No, sir. Okay. Tell the members of the jury how this vacuum cleaner was positioned the very first time that you saw it. It was positioned as you see it here, lying down on its, I call it its top. The wheels are up and, okay, the kitchen sink on the right hand part of the photograph? Yes, sir. Okay. Where would the family room be in relation to States Exhibit 36-G? Okay, the family room, you can see this area right here. The bar would be up here, and the family room would be right up here. Okay, Officer Main, did I understand you to say that you also photographed the utility room? Yes, sir. Okay. If you would, if you'll look at what's been marked as States Exhibits 38-A, 38-B, 38-C, and 38-D, do these photographs truly and accurately depict the utility room as it appeared on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. These are photographs that you took that morning. Yes, sir. Officer, if we could go through these four photographs, and if you will step back so all of the jurors can see here. States Exhibit 38-A, what are we looking at there? We're looking at the utility room area. You can see blood drops right here and a small child's cap right here. Okay, did there appear to be any blood on this cap? No, sir. Okay. 38-B, is this another closer image of that same ball cap? Yes, sir, it is. You can see the blood drops here, but one thing that I don't see in it is cast-off type blood. It's just, you know, large blood drops. Okay, States Exhibit 38-C, what do we see here? This type of blood on the door, transfer type blood where somebody might have touched the door. Which door are we looking at here in 38-C? This door leads into the garage area from the utility room. And finally, States Exhibit 38-D. What are we looking at here? Looking at the linoleum flooring going into the garage, interior of the garage. And do we see in 38-D 
the same door that's shown in 38-C. Yes, sir. And it's on the left-hand portion of the photograph? Yes, sir. And did I understand you to say the top portion of this photograph would then lead into the garage? Yes, sir. Okay. Officer Main, did you also take photographs of the garage? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. Sir, if you would, looking at State's Exhibit number 40, 40-A and 40-B. First of all, State's Exhibit 40, is that an accurate diagram of the way the garage appeared on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. State's Exhibits 40-A and 40-B. Do those photographs truly and accurately depict the garage as it appeared during the morning hours of June 6, 1996? Yes, sir. Okay. Just so we can orient the jury, on State's Exhibit 40, do we see a portion of the kitchen in that diagram, sir? Yes, sir, right here. And do we see the doorway that would lead from the utility room into the garage? Yes, sir, it's right here. And we have a white rectangle in the garage. What does that represent? It's a freezer slash refrigerator. All right. If we could, looking first at State's Exhibit 40-A, what part of the garage are we looking at there? We're looking at, if you need to, why don't you just take this? Yes, sir. We're looking at this area here. It would be this area up here through here. It's the overhead garage door. Okay. Overall condition of the garage that morning? Boxes, bikes, just a normal garage. Okay. States Exhibit 40-B. What are we looking at there, sir? We're looking from down here. This would be the door leading from the utility room. This is the wall here. And this is the area to the window that I was told that the suspect entered and exited. All right. The top portion of the photograph. Does it show the window that you believed or were told to be the point of entry? Yes, sir. Was there anything still on that window? Yes, sir. The screen was on the window. Okay. Can we see the screen in the photograph? Yes, sir. You can see it with the cut in the window screen. All right. This wooden object with the wire next to it. What is that? That's some type of animal cage. Okay. Were there any animals in this cage? No, sir. What's in the cage then? It looks like some type of litter, cat litter box maybe, and just bowls for animals eating and drinking. Beside them to the left of the window, that's a carrying case for an animal. Okay. And we've also got a trash can here and some shoes here. In this area here, I determined that it was some type of liquid Kool-Aid, maybe some type of... Okay, you talked about a presumptive test for blood on the sock. Did you do a presumptive test for the area that is shown here on State's Exhibit 40-B? No, sir, I did not. Was it later? Did someone else do some analysis on that? Yes, sir. And also, you can see the trash can here. And this would be the refrigerator freezer right there. 
Okay, directing your attention back to the window. Was the window open or closed when you first saw it? It was open, okay? Before you photographed this window, sir, did you change the position of the window in any way? No, sir, I did not. How about the screen? Did you touch the screen or reposition it in any way before photographing it here in States Exhibit 40-B? No, sir. Also in here, we searched for blood on any of these items on the windowsill and we could not locate any blood. Mr. Greg Davis then says, why don't you go back up to your seat? And he goes back to the stand and then questioning was continued. Officer Main, after you photographed the portions of the house that we have just seen, what's the next thing that you did? Waited on the medical examiner field agent. All right. And do you know about what time the medical examiner came into the house? Yes, sir. Approximately 6.55 a.m. All right. And what did you do when the medical examiner came in? I met with her and we proceeded to go to where the body was in the family room. Okay. And what did you do then? She uncovered the body and I began taking photographs of the body. Okay. Of the child that was still in the room? That's correct. Now, would you mind telling us then, what's the next thing that you did after you finished taking photographs of the other child? After we took the photographs, the body was removed from the area and I began collecting evidence. Okay. You had indicated that the medical examiner's field agent came in. Anybody else come into the house before you began collecting evidence? Yes, sir. Okay. Who came in? Sergeant David Neighbors. All right. And he was your supervisor? Yes, sir. He was. Anybody else come in? I think James Cron was in there. Had you dealt with James Cron before? Yes, sir. Did you know who he was? Yes, sir, I did. And when you began to collect evidence, tell us, what's the first thing that you did in collecting evidence in that house? I began collecting hair, fiber samples from the area where the body was removed. Okay. Are you talking about the body that you saw being removed? That's correct. The one the medical examiner field agent removed. Okay, so you collected hair. How did you do that? I collected it by using plastic tweezers. Okay, and did you do any analysis on that hair? No, sir, I did not. What did you do with it? I collected it and preserved it for further examination. Okay, did you put it into evidence then? Yes, I did. Okay, so you collected the hair. What's the next thing that you did? I collected the blue and green blanket from the family room area. Okay. And were those the blankets that we saw on the photograph next to the couch? Yes, sir, they were. Okay. Officer Main, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 62. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir, I do. Okay. And what is that? That's the blue blanket that I removed from the family room. Okay. Did you place it into evidence that day? Yes, sir, I did. 
Did you do any analysis on the blanket yourself? No, sir. And again, where did you find this item number 62? I found it beside the couch in the family room. Okay. Officer Main, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit 61. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir, I do. What is that? That's the green blanket that I removed from the family room beside the couch. Okay, and did you also place this into evidence? Yes, sir, I did. Did you do any analysis on this blanket yourself? No, sir, I did not. Let me ask you, Officer Maine, when you were collecting these two blankets, did you notice whether or not you could see any blood on those two blankets? Yes, sir. There was some type of blood on the blankets. Now, after you had collected the blue and the green blanket, what's the next thing that you did? I collected a plaid cloth that was bloody on the carpet runner between the love seat and the bar in the family room, and also collected two rags in the hallway beside the bathroom door. Okay, let me also ask you if at some later date, whether or not you retrieved any evidence from the front porch of the house. Yes, sir, I did. And what evidence did you retrieve out there? A white rag that was bloody on the front porch. Okay. Sir, if you would, if you would look at State's Exhibit 66, do you recognize that? Yes, sir. Okay. What is State's Exhibit number 66? The white rag that was on the front porch. Did you retrieve that? Yes, sir, I did. And did you place that into evidence also? Yes, sir. Did you do any analysis on that rag yourself? No, sir. All right. Officer Maine, would you please look at State's Exhibits 64 and 65 and tell me whether or not you recognize those two items, sir? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, and what are they? The rags I found in the hallway. Okay, and then did you place them into evidence? Yes, sir, I did. Did you do any analysis on them yourself? No, sir. Okay. All right. You've collected washcloths now. Uh, please tell us the next thing that you did inside the house. I collected the white butcher knife that was on the bar and also the butcher block. Okay. And before you collected those two items, sir, did you photograph them? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. Officer Maine, if you will look, please, at State's Exhibit 37-A and 37-B. First, does 37-A truly and accurately depict the knife as it appeared on June 6, 1996? And does State's Exhibit 37-B truly and accurately depict the butcher block with the eight knives as it appeared on June 6, 1996? Yes, sir, it does. Again, just very briefly, 37-A shows the knife on the bar. Is that right? That's correct. 37-B that shows the butcher block with the knives? Yes, sir, it does. Okay. Was there one of the slots still open and empty on the butcher block? Yes, sir, it was. Okay. 
Officer Maine, if you will, please look at States Exhibit 67 and tell me whether or not you recognize that. Yes, sir, I do. Okay, what is States Exhibit number 67? That's the knife that I located on the bar. Okay, is that the same knife that is shown here in States Exhibit number 37-A? Yes, sir, it is. Okay, when you retrieved States Exhibit 67, did you place it directly into evidence or what did you do with it? I put it in a paper bag and secured it. Okay, did you later give it to someone? Yes, sir, I did. I gave it to Charlie Lynch, which is with Southwestern Forensic Science in Dallas County. Officer Mate, let me show you what's been marked for identification purposes as States Exhibit 67-something, and this is a mistake actually in the trial testimony notes. It says 67-A, but that is not correct. It's supposed to be... 68. Yes, sir. Do you recognize that? It says 68. I'm sorry, 68? Yes, sir. Did you, do you recognize that? Yes, sir. Okay. Is this the butcher block that is shown in States Exhibit 37-B? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. Is there a certain amount of writing on the outside of this, sir? Yes, sir, there is. Okay. Was that done after it was retrieved by you? That was after. Okay. Was there any writing on the outside of it at the time that you retrieved it? No, sir, there was not. Sir, now if you'll look please at States Exhibit 68-D-E-G-F-C-B-A-N-H. Do you recognize these eight knives that I have placed before you, sir? Yes, sir. Are they the knives that you found in the butcher block, States Exhibit 68, on June 6, 1996, sir? Yes, sir. Officer Maine, after you retrieved States Exhibit 67 and you retrieved the butcher block with the knives in it, what's the next thing that you did? I started collecting blood samples. Okay. And what sort of training have you received for the taking of blood samples? I have been to numerous schools, crime scene schools, and collecting type blood evidence. Okay. How many years have you been collecting blood evidence? Approximately nine years. Okay. You got any approximation for the number of crime scenes where you've actually retrieved blood? Approximate 50. Okay. And do you recall the areas of the house where you tried to retrieve blood that morning? Yes, sir. In the family room, the kitchen area, the utility room, and in the front entry of the house. Okay. What methods were you using to try to collect this? I used razor blades scraping dried blood samples. Okay. Officer Maine. If you would please look at States Exhibit number 122, and if you could, let me ask you whether or not we have identified some of these circles with the initials RM. Yes, sir. Okay. If you would, please take a look at that exhibit and tell me whether or not we have, on this document, accurately located the locations 
where you took the blood samples on June 6, 1996, in the portion of the house depicted on 122. Yes, sir. Okay, and again, the areas that you went to take these blood samples, the family room, the kitchen area, what part of the family room? The family room, the coffee table in the center of the room. I removed a dried blood sample from the corner of the coffee table. Okay. In the kitchen area, the bar where the white butcher knife was removed, I collected a dried blood sample from that area. Also, at the sink area, at the front of the sink on the counter, I removed a dried blood sample from there. In front of the range area on the floor, I collected a blood sample there. In the utility room on the floor, I collected a blood sample there. And in the front entry area where the carpet starts in the hallway, I took a dried blood sample there. Now, what did you do with these blood samples? I packaged the blood samples and preserved them for evidence. Okay. Did you yourself do any analysis on the blood samples that you retrieved out there that morning? No, sir. Okay. Did you place them into evidence then? Yes, sir, I did. Now, if you would please tell us what's the next thing that you did after you retrieved the blood samples from the location that you just noted. I cut the bloody handprint from the carpet in the family area right beside the couch area and also cut a strip portion of the carpet behind the couch where there was a possible shoe print. Okay. Officer Main, if you would please look at State's Exhibit 81 and tell me whether or not you recognize that, sir. Yes, sir, I do. And is that one of the carpet pieces that you retrieved that morning? Yes, sir. Would this be the portion behind the couch? That's correct. Okay. And if you would, if you will look at State's Exhibit 82 and tell me whether or not you recognize that. Yes, sir, I do. And is that another portion of the carpet that you retrieved on June 6, 1996? It is. Looking at State's Exhibit 82, sir, what do we see on State's Exhibit number 82? It's a small blood handprint. Okay. If you would now, please tell us the next thing that you did after you retrieved the two portions of carpet in the family room. I then went to the kitchen area and collected a piece of the broken glass that's on the kitchen floor and also lifted the vacuum cleaner from off of the floor. Okay. Officer Main, if you would please look at State's Exhibit 69 and tell me whether or not you recognize that exhibit, sir. Yes, sir, I do. And is that the glass that you collected from the kitchen floor? Yes, it is. On June 6th. That's correct. And just for the record, there are several pieces of glass in State's Exhibit 69. Is that right? Yes, there is. Okay. I want to go back with you just a moment to a portion of your testimony where you talked about retrieving towels or rags from the floor. Do you recall that? Yes, sir. And is it true that we have seen the white rag from the front porch? Yes, sir. And the two rags from the hallway. Is that right? That's correct. 
Okay. Sir, if you would please look at States Exhibit number 63 and tell me whether you recognize that. Yes, sir, I do. What is 63? That is the bloody rag that I collected in the family room between the love seat and the bar on the plastic runner. Again, I'm displaying that to the jury. Is that just a white and green plaid rag, sir? Yes, it is. Did it appear to have blood on it when you retrieved it? Yes, sir. Okay. And going back to where we were, as I understand, when you retrieved the last item, did I understand you to say that you started looking at the vacuum cleaner? That's correct. Was it still located in the kitchen? Yes, it was. Was it still in the same position that you had first seen it? Yes, sir, it was. What is the first thing that you did when you went back over to that vacuum cleaner? Myself and James Cron started looking at it and we observed blood footprints underneath the vacuum cleaner. Okay, well, are you actually looking at the floor around the vacuum cleaner then? Yes, sir. Is this when the vacuum cleaner is still on the floor? Yes, sir. And did you determine to do anything at that time? Well, we determined to lift the vacuum cleaner up and look further. Sir, let me ask you to look at States Exhibit 93. Do you recognize that, sir? Yes, sir. And what is States Exhibit 93? That's the vacuum cleaner that was on the kitchen floor. Okay. Okay, if you would, officer, please step down. Could you please position the vacuum cleaner on the courtroom floor as it appeared on the kitchen floor that morning or that afternoon? Okay. Whereupon the witness stepped down from the witness stand and approached the jury rail and the proceedings were resumed as follows. Okay, you now have, you laid the vacuum cleaner down on the floor. Is that right? Yes, sir. Please step back so everyone can see it. Okay, and did I understand you to say that you then made a decision to lift it up off the ground? Is that right? Yes, sir. We observed blood on the handle, so we decided to go ahead and lift it up and look underneath it. Okay, could you please show the members of the jury exactly how you picked that vacuum cleaner up that day on June 6th, 1996? We just go ahead and do that now. Uh, yes, sir. Okay, if you could just lay it down and do it one more time for us and just show us. Here, let me do it this way. Okay, when you lifted it up, did you roll the vacuum cleaner on the floor in any way? No, sir. Just strictly picked it straight up. That's correct. And you're holding a portion of the handle right below the light colored handle. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Have a seat right up there. Whereupon he goes back to the witness stand. And the court at this time says, Mr. Davis, I think we'll take a 15 minute break now. And Mr. Greg Davis says, yes, sir. And the court said the jury needs to warm up. So... Um, as for this particular podcast episode, I am also going to end this one here because we have uh, quite a bit more testimony from Officer David Main uh, regarding this whole crime scene. But before we go, here's just a few observations that I had. 
Okay. So in the first hour of testimony, we learn that after Officer Maine was called to the scene at the Routier home, he first stopped at fire station number two to pick up evidence. Quote, clothing from a victim and also the defendant. It isn't said that he picked up, quote, evidence, just that he picked up, quote, clothing. He didn't mention that he picked up the bags that contained the clothing, just simply, quote, picked up the clothing. It's not very detailed, but maybe we'll get into that as he's cross-examined by Darley's defense team. So I can't keep getting this nagging feeling though through all of this was this normal procedure it's safe to say that Rowlett hasn't had a crime like this so who's to know for sure what their policies are if they had any at all so let's say that Zimmerman was instructed to gather up these items and keep them for the police Did he wear gloves when he handled this clothing that he picked up? Did he physically touch the clothing without gloves at any point in time? Did he have a secure container to keep the evidence in that was able to be sealed? Was there a chain of custody record at all? Why was the evidence taken to the fire station instead of directly to the police station? And again, maybe we'll hear more as his testimony continues. However, we next hear that Officer Maine takes this evidence that he just gathered from fire station number two and then goes to the Routier's home. And he gets there at about 4.15 a.m. where he then starts to take photos and such. But I was interested to know what the temperature was outside at the time that he was in the home. Now, while I don't have the exact details, I do know that according to the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, on June 6, 1996, it was already 72 degrees outside. Now, the high for the day was 88 degrees. Thunderstorms were also forecasted for the day, which likely means that it was pretty humid outside. So what's my point with this? Well, given this information and depending upon where he was parked when he arrived, the biological evidence on the garments could potentially be affected. If he were parked in an area with little to no shade, when the sun rose, the temperature inside the car would likely rise causing potential problems with the biological items on the clothing. So again, we're early in his testimony, so we'll likely hear more about this, I hope, I hope, later on. So when Officer Maine did get there to the house, he met with Officer Ward where the sock was found. He then photographed and retrieved the tube sock He did not say what he did with the sock, though. He did a presumptive test on the sock to test for blood, which came back positive. He then just simply said that he, quote, placed it in evidence. He then met with James Cron, 
outside the house and ended up entering the home around 6.09 in the morning. And he entered with Sergeant Walling and Karen Neal. And Karen is a neighbor of the Routiers. She had gone in to get their small dog. She left about two minutes later, and he and Walling remained in the house, at which time James Cron and Sergeant David Neighbors then entered. So at this point, there's four of them in the house. Sergeant Walling then took them on a walkthrough of the house, and during this walkthrough, no evidence is collected or touched, and this took around 20 to 25 minutes. Everyone then left but Officer Main, and he stayed behind to take photos. So for the rest of most of this hour, first hour of testimony, we hear about the photographs that were taken at the scene. I do want to point out whether it's transcript error or attorney error. Um, I don't know, but at times in the transcript, you will hear an exhibit number mentioned, for example, 35-A, when they're referring to 36-A. It's pretty easy to determine what they're actually talking about, but I just wanted to point that out. At 6.55 a.m., the medical examiner then arrived to take care of Devin's body, which was still in the family room. And before Officer Main began to collect evidence, Sergeant Neighbors and James Cron then re-entered the house. Officer Main said he collected a bloody plaid cloth between the love seat and the bar in the family room. He also collected two rags in the hallway beside the bathroom door, as well as a white rag that was bloody on the front porch. Now, we're only a little bit into his testimony, but when he was talking about collecting blood samples, he was never asked if he had taken one from the vacuum cleaner. If you remember when he, uh, when the prosecutor had him step down from the witness stand and get down and there was this vacuum on the floor in the trial room and said, hey, you know, show me what happened to this. He had said that he had seen some blood on the handle, but so far he has not testified, t testified, excuse me, that he actually took a blood sample from the handle of the vacuum cleaner. Now, this whole thing, I'm sure as you listened to this first hour, it was probably quite um, a little boring at times because they're constantly referring to all of these states exhibits that they have. Um, gosh, there were, there were a lot. So what I'm going to do, I can't promise that it's going to be done by the time that you initially hear this when I publish it. But what I'm going to do is place these photos that I can find and put them on the web page specifically for this episode so that hopefully by the time you listen to this when you get there or when you're listening if you're able to pull it up at the same time you'll be able to actually look at the photos as you hear him describe them so like i said i don't have access to all of them but i have access to quite a few 
So I will have those up on the webpage for this particular podcast episode as soon as humanly possible. And this is going to conclude this first hour of the testimony of Officer David Main. And the next episode will just continue on with his uh, testimony. Again, he was on the stand this entire day and it even moved over into the beginning of the following day. So this is going to be quite a series of uh, podcast episodes related to just his testimony alone. So again, uh, thank you so much. Um, if you think someone you know would love this coverage of the Routier trial or any of the other Beach House 34 episodes, please consider sharing it with them. I would be so much appreciative of that. Once again, thank you for listening. And I will be back soon with a, another piece of Officer David Maine's testimony in the trial of Darlie Routier.